the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. It's time now for Making Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. It is time for Making Money Sense, the Larry Rosenthal Show on this Memorial Day weekend. And here he is, Larry Rosenthal himself. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Chris, and happy Memorial Day weekend to you. And you too, and you too. to everyone out there, our vets and our active military right now, absolutely. Appreciate your service, your work, and commitment to our nation. Greatest nation in the world. That's right. Thank a soldier today, that's for sure. If you see one, thank one. Sure. Yeah. No doubt about it. So that's one of the things that I that I really like about you know the the Washington Nationals. Whenever you go to a game, you know they always have. Um, I think it's after the third inning or something mm-hmm. behind home plate there on one of the the landing areas. You know they always salute uh, uh, our, our servicemen and women. That's you know? awesome. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you ever seen it at a game, but it's really touching. It's pretty neat. You know, everybody waves their waves their caps and stuff. So it's good. And you see a lot of motorcycles around this time of uh, of year during the Memorial Day weekend. Lots of the Rolling Thunder uh, preparations taking place. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's you think that neat. Uh, you think that maybe uh, your lovely wife would let you uh, buy a Harley for the occasion and uh, drive downtown? I don't know about that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I've already I've been told. Really ridden a motorcycle too much, you know, when I was young, but uh, not not uh, not any time recently. That's well, I enjoy riding, but I've been uh, basically told that because of the traffic in this area, I, I have to, you know, when you're when you're married, the 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 wife kind of has a little Trump activity going on there, and she says, "No, not right, not right now." <laughs> well, the traffic is bad, so hopefully yeah. everyone will be safe this week. Yeah, be safe but enjoy. Yeah. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Making Money Sense, the Larry Rosenthal Show here. You know, we always start the show off, or we try to anyway, with some economic news, what's happening in the markets, the economy around the globe, all facing your money. What's going on with your money? Well, good news is that the U.S. growth or the U.S. GDP was revised upwards. You know, when GDP, gross domestic product, comes out each quarter, um, it it, uh, uh, it 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 shows the output of the nation. You know, How, what are we doing? Are we expanding or are we contracting? And the and there's usually three readings to it. And the first reading for the first quarter came out and said, oh, it was a dismal increase of 0.7. Well, the second the second revision or the first revision or the second look at it here came out the other day, and it was it looked pretty positive. It was a bit stronger. 
um, than than the point seven. It, it came out at one point two percent. So that's better. You know, um, we're trying to get GDP to you know get get three four percent growth. That's a long way off. Uh, which kind of tells you, you know, economically that we may have some room to still run here. But anyway, the point is that as we look at GDP, which is, you know, one of the most heavy weights on what's going on in the economy is continuing to expand and rise, that's a good thing. Some other news this week concerning the economy, and and this is very interesting. We've all been waiting to see, you know, hey, when is this going to take place? When is it going to happen? But the Federal Reserve is starting to outline thoughts on how they're going to shrink their balance sheet. Remember the financial crisis, Chris, they, you know, 2008, nine, they, they, they purchased a bunch of treasury bonds and they did quantitative easing one, two, mm-hmm. three, you know, mm-hmm. and just the, the whole nine yards. And so their balance sheet's gotten very, very fat. About $4.5 trillion is sitting on their balance sheet. So what is the Federal Reserve going to do with this? Are they going to just dump all these bonds? Are they going to just let them sit there to maturity over the years? Or are they going to slowly ease them back into the marketplace? Well, there's there's all kinds of talks about that right now, about slowly easing them into back into the marketplace. So stay tuned. We'll have to see what happens with all of that. Why don't we right? just ask them, see if they'll tell us. Sure, just just shoot them up a text. Yeah, you know they, they'd probably be more than happy to do that. <laughs> I you know, and then again, when you take a look at also what what drives stock prices, well, there's many things that drive stock prices, but one of the most, you know, basic fundamental reasons that stock prices go up or down, and it's based off the future anticipated earnings of a corporation. So you take a look at their past earnings and then their future forecast of what they think earnings is going to do, and you know, it's earnings season. We're coming down to the end of earnings season right now. Um, we have, you know, January, February, March is the first quarter, and then in April and May, all the corporations report their earnings for the first quarter. Well, as of the other day, 477 of the 500 S&P 500 companies reported first quarter earnings, and it looks like they're expected to have an increase of about 15.3% over first quarter 2016 which is a very nice increase when you take a look at it. Uh, if you strip out, um, you know, then they get into stripping out uh, revenues. For, you know, they strip out energy. They strip out all these different things. So you can just sort of see the chart there. I'm not going to get into it all. But my, my the bottom line here is that corporate earnings are continuing to improve. Now, one of the things that that the naysayers talk about with with this, and I was talking to somebody not too recently about this, about, you know, well, yeah, corporate earnings are, are, are increasing. That's because estimates have always been revised down. You know, we, we've been saying, okay, next quarter our earnings are going to be lower, so we hit them, and we're all happy. Well, we're actually seeing the revisions moving upwards now, which is a good good piece of news. That's really the strengthening of the news. That's That's been sort of the... The uh, catalyst, if you will, of the market getting its rally back in or getting some legs underneath of it back in September, October time frame. Um, and then the the uh, different fiscal policies that President Trump and his team is trying to put in in uh, from uh, ha- have been sort of an accelerant on top of that. So pretty good, pretty, pretty interesting uh, economic data this week, uh, which, you know, really goes to supporting the markets where where they are right now. Another question comes in on the markets too. You know, hey, we're at new time, uh, all time highs again. What does the market look like? You know, with a PE ratio on the markets a little over nineteen, 
which again is a little bit high. But if earnings continue to come in and we continue to see the expansion, it'll be okay. Remember, the market, the stock market, is a forward-looking economic indicator. So if the, if the market thinks that it is, is uh, uh, going to continue to rise, it may get up a little bit ahead of itself. So that's sort of normal there when it well, comes When to does that adjust when people decide, well, maybe I should take some profits off the table? That, that they consider that an adjustment across the board? or? How does ah, that that's a great question. When to take profits, right? Right. Well, take them on uh, Tuesday, Chris. <laughs> but what happens if the market goes up Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Exactly. You're, you're going, oh, no, I should have taken my profits, right? Well, you hear a lot of people that say, well, they're taking profits. That's why the market's dipping. And, you know, I hear that a lot on the, on the news channels. Sometimes, sometimes the market will have a little pullback for, for a handful of days, and people say, oh, it's nothing more than profit sharing. Profit taking, not profit sharing, but profit taking. People will cash out some money and uh, try and wait for it to come back down and get in again. And that's really a double-edged sword. Sometimes you could really get hurt with that. Suppose you cash out some and, uh, you know, it uh, doesn't come back down. It just keeps going up. So. You're more of an accumulation of shares kind of guy, right? I mean, that's well, of- that's the whole secret. And, and by cashing out and doing some market timing, you're trying to accumulate shares too. But at the, at the end of the day, when when you when you hear the people when you hear people on the news say oh yeah it was profit sharing over the last few days that was the that was the result of the dip in the market basically what's happening there is the economy still expanding the economic numbers look good the fiscal policy looks good the fed looks uh, looks looks accommodative and then at the same time all the corporate earnings and things look good and then also the market drops so they they point towards profit taking okay well markets had a run up people cashing out a little bit taking some profits pulling them off the table, that's fine, too. Some people, you know, will invest their, their dollars that way. Uh, you know, one, one, one strategy comes to mind in, in this question you posed, Chris, and that is let's suppose you're in the middle of retirement years and, you, and you're distributing your assets to you and you have a nice run-up. Well, a lot of people will go ahead and take some profits out of that run-up, move it over into what we would call a quiet pool, maybe the bank or a very conservative money market or, or bond fund, so that there's no real risk to the markets declining again on them. So the money that they're going to be spending in the next one, two, three years, they'll put into a quiet pool like that, and they'll, sometimes they'll they'll drain some profits from the you know the growth pool over into the quiet pool. So there's a lot of different ways to ch- to sort of move or systematically reduce risk while make, making sure your cash flow is adequate during retirement years. And one of those is profit-taking from time to time. You That's know, really the, diversification, though, isn't it? When you're kind of in a, in a backward sort of a way, you're taking those profits off and, and moving it to a more uh, less a less risky place, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you can look at it as diversification. That's true. But you, and you can also look at it as you know what's driving that decision is is diversification of assets driving that decision, or is the security of your income driving that decision in this case? You know, let's suppose you've got let's suppose there, you know you have eight hundred thousand dollars in your portfolio in your IRA. Let's just suppose, and and it, and it moves up, let's say ten percent. And and you're sitting here going, you know what? Well, I I need I need thirty thousand dollars a year out of this to supplement my income during retirement years, and then all of a sudden it goes up eighty thousand dollars. You might want to go, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take out seventy thousand of that and move it over. Keep it in the IRA, of course, but move it over to a quiet pool type of an investment. Now you've got two years plus of of income sitting there that really doesn't have any more market risk. 
Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So, so the, the idea there is is you know that's one way of doing it, and there's there's several different ways of really doing that. But the answer to your question, sometimes you know the market's always going to have profit taking from time to time. It's always going to have little adjustments from time to time. You know, just over the last seven years or so, we've had. Uh, actually, six and a half years now, we've had seven pretty substantial pullbacks in the market with no recession at all. So they were just adjustments based off of, you know, different geopolitical issues and things like that. Just take a look a couple of weeks ago, or was it last week or the week before, when all this uh, information about uh, Russia came out. and The market took a 352-point drop in mm-hmm. one day, and mm-hmm. people thought, oh, no, it's Chicken Little. The sky's falling now, only to turn reverse that course and blow back up into new highs uh, areas again. You know, in, in a very short period of time. So, and you're saying when those markets take those big dips, that you should uh, you should get in a little bit, maybe get some things that are yeah, on it's sale. It's a good time to. It is a good time if you if you feel that you know the that the economy is still driving forward. It, it is a very good time at that particular point to really take a look at making an extra deposit in the market and taking advantage of of a buying opportunity. You know, it's it's funny. People make money in down markets. They don't make money in up markets, Chris. Mm -hmm. So when the market pulls back a little bit and you put money in, when everybody's fearful and you're sitting there going, all right, well, let's put it in. I don't like it, but I'm putting it in. That's when you make money because you're buying it low. Mm -hmm. Buy low, sell high. That's exactly. It's very easy to say, but it's very hard to do for a lot of of people. So absolutely. But at the end of the day, make sure you stay diversified. Make sure your your investment – make sure you understand what your investment objectives are and your investments are lined up with those objectives. That's that's, – to it. I can't tell you how many times people come in and say, you know, hey, Larry, I want to hire you. I want to take a look at – I want you to take a look for me at what I'm doing, where I'm investing, and 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 everything. And I go, well, you know, your your stuff is here, there, and, and everywhere, but it doesn't match up with the goals you're telling me about. And, and they go, oh wow, you know. So so make sure you understand how that matches up together. So hey, let's go ahead and open up the phone lines, Chris. Let's uh, get some people to give us a ring here this morning with any of your financial planning or investment questions. I like the music, Chris. Very good. Memorial Day weekend. Give us a call at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Back in a moment with more Making Money Sense. You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Have you ever wanted to be part of something big? Nonprofit organization called Stars Children Africa. Do you want to be a part of something that changes a child's life? Orphans who are high school age who would not have a chance to get education otherwise. Now you can be part of something that brings hope. What we do is we actually pay for the school fees. For about the cost of a new suit, you can change an orphan's future for a whole year. We pay for the school fees, and that averages around $500 to $550 a year total. That means food, lodging, the teaching, the education part, the the uniform, that whole thing. Call now, 703-201-2494. 
or go to starschildrenafrica.org. For a dollar and a half a day, one child would be educated for that year in high school. 703-201-2494. Call right now. For $500 a year, you can change an orphan's life. 703-201-2494. You're listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense. If you'd like to dial in, we have a phone line available for you right now, actually, at 855-767-3123 to talk to Larry Rosenthal, our financial and retirement expert here in studio. Again, 855-767-3123. Got a a couple of customs uh, that I wanted to pass along to you, Larry, about Memorial Day you may not have known. One of them being that uh, it is a custom to fly the flag at half-mast until noon. And then raise it to the top of the staff for the rest of the day until sunset. Did you know that? I did not know that, Chris. No. Yeah, uh-huh. that is a Memorial Day custom. So I'm going to pass that along to well, you. Well, when I'm out and about I'm driving home after or after we get out of the studio here, I'm going to take a look and see. Yeah. Well, there you go. That. Yeah. That's a good custom. What other customs do you have? Well, um, I have a couple of other facts. You know that the uh, Rolling Thunder we talked about started in 1988, 2,500 motorcycles. Yeah, that would, uh, they'd all rode into Washington. It was a um, sort of a protest on the uh, Vietnam War and that kind of situation. So that's what that was. 1988 is when that started. You wonder why all the motorcycles are in town. It started back then, and it's just been growing since then. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, there's a lot more than 2,500 in there now, I'll oh, tell you that. Yeah, there sure is. In fact, they closed the 95, uh, they closed the express lanes in the morning, and they, they, they get them all lined up and get ready to drive downtown, which is kind of neat. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so it'll be neat later on to see that when that takes yeah, place. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, I've been down there before just walking around looking at all the bikes. They're beautiful. <laughs> they are nice. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty neat. A lot of them are, are uh, very specially designed and put together. A lot of businessmen uh, come from all over the United States. Uh, they get together and they bring their friends in and drive in. Kind of a neat thing. Good. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, hey, some news today from the uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, kind of interesting, but a um, little, little worrisome. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's talking about Americans refinancing their homes right now. And taking cash out, well, that's pretty typical. Somebody will do a refinance cash out, right? Where, you know, maybe maybe the home's worth six hundred thousand dollars, and they owe you know three hundred thousand, and maybe they're at five percent interest, and they refinance it down to four, and they say, you know what, I'm going to cash out an extra fifty grand, and it keeps my mortgage payment about the same. So, you know, that's that's kind of normal. You know, pe- people do that uh, for those that don't desire to have their home paid off or they have other plans. Um, however, we're starting to see an increase now to the highest levels uh, since the fourth quarter of 2008. So we're starting to see a run-up here of about 50% of people that are refinancing taking their money out. Now, in the peak in 2008, we saw about 90% people that of the people that were refinancing, 90% of them were taking money out. So we're not near, nearly that close again, but we're starting to see this run-up. So the question is, unfortunately, the data doesn't show what people are doing with that money. Yeah, people you know. would refinance um, twice a year sometimes. It was, a, it was just crazy in 2008. It was. It was. You know, so we have to get away from, from uh, using this money in a bad way. So let me go in and explain what I mean. You know, I used to uh, teach a uh, seminar class, actually, on the nine different ways to manage equity inside of your home. 
And one of them is actually a refi cash out option. But what you do with this money all depends on, on if it's really a good thing or not. You know, so, so if you're going to refinance your house and pull money out because you want to go out and buy the, the new big screen TV and this, that, and the other stuff and, and use it for vacation and, and all that kind of stuff and a new dining room table, it may not be in your best interest to go about doing that, okay? Because you're, you're taking an asset and then you're spending down the cash of that asset, relying on the market values to come back up. And people say, well, you know what? Real estate always goes up. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Well, it, it goes up and down over time just like everything else does. So it depends on your entry and exit points. Do you think we'll ever see those prices again that we saw in 2008? Do you think the housing prices will ever recover to that point? One day they will. One, one, one day they probably will. You know, it's like people saying, oh, the market will never come back after, you know, 9-11. Oh, the market will never come back after the financial crisis. You know, oh, the market will never come back after the Great Recession. It always does. You know, so it always has. So, so yeah, so, so you know, markets, you know, there was definitely a real estate bubble caused by, you know, all different factors. And we're not getting into all that. There's movies on that now. You know, but, but uh, uh, so, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Asset prices raise rise again, but as long as they're rising based off of true market values and not bubbles, it's really okay, Chris. So, you know, at the end of the day here, if you're going to be using home equity in your house to, you know, remodel your home, put a deck on, something like that, there's an old school thought there of have your home pay for itself. You know, have your if you're going to put the pool in the backyard or the deck or or that kind of stuff, you know, or remodel the bathrooms in the kitchen. You know, then then that's one way to go about doing it is using the equity inside of your home. But to go out and buy a new car with it or vacations and things of that nature, it's probably not the best way to go about doing it. So really take a good hard look at it, which brings me to another question. You know, how do you handle real estate in your financial plan for retirement purposes? So a lot of people out there will run their financial plan, and, and listen up, this is very important. This gives a very false sense of security, and you have to really understand how the construction of a financial plan works. When you're working with your financial advisor and they're sitting there running the financial plan for you, one of the most overlooked questions is, is the home equity in my house used in my financial plan? And you'll be surprised that a lot of financial advisors will actually use it in the financial plan. Do not do that. Hmm. Don't use the home equity in your financial plan until you instruct your financial advisor how you want him or her to use the home equity in your financial plan. Think about this, Chris. So the way we do it at first with a client is we carry the value of the home minus the mortgage on the balance sheet, but we exclude the equity from participating in retirement income purposes inside of our financial plan. Because suppose you have, let's suppose you have, you know, again, $800,000 sitting in your investments and you have $300,000 in your home equity. Well, your balance sheet is going to tell you, you know, hey, I got $1.3 million, right? Mm -hmm. But are you going to use that $300,000 of your home equity to supplement your retirement needs? So so the answer for a lot of people is no I'm going to I'm going to sell this home and go buy a home for cash in Tennessee right So now you've got this idea in your mind of taking that $300,000 of equity you have in your home and paying for paying a 
paying cash in a, in a smaller retirement home for yourself, not having a mortgage, right? But maybe your financial advisor is carrying that asset of $300,000 included in the financial plan uh, that's to why supplement. You don't do it. okay. That's exactly right. You do not do that. And this is a very big overlooked area, especially, and I started thinking about it when I was reading this article in the Wall Street Journal about people are starting to use their mortgage or their, their home equity again, you know, as sort of a, let's take some cash out of it. What am I doing with it? got to have a plan for it and so many people will not address this conversation or a lot of financial advisors i have found just put it in the plan and they don't really address well hey what are you going to be doing with it what's the game plan you know as a matter of fact i was working with a client not too long ago on this very subject and i was explaining no your home equity is not included in the plan for income purposes it is carried as a balance sheet item but not for income purposes and they were like, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, and I gave them that you know, similar example that I just talked about. And so they were like, well, you know what? Let's put it in. Okay, well, how do you want to put it in? Well, we plan on selling the home in a handful of years and then buying another home. So I did it real quick and said, okay, you're going to sell the home here. You're going to cash out this. You're going to buy the other place. They ended up in the plan with an extra little bit of money. That part of the money can go in. You know, The net proceeds after cost, moving you know, real estate fees, all that kind of stuff can then be put into the plan. How do you so, estimate what a house would sell for and, and where, you know, if you were putting those kinds of things, how would you know that? That's a wonderful question, Chris, because everybody thinks that their house four or five years from now is going to go up, up, and away, right, in value, okay? <laughs> Not always true. I don't put it in the plan like that. I say, well, let's just sell it for today's price and see what happens. Okay. Okay? okay. You know, you sort of just stress it out a little bit. Maybe I'll put one, one and a half percent appreciation on it. Maybe. But I just sort of stress out the plan. When it comes to running out future things in the financial plan, such as what's your house going to grow at, you know, I always make sure that I'm growing inflation in the plan higher or, or harder, worse than the asset pre, uh, appreciation of it all. Do you take the comparison of that house in Tennessee that you want to pay off and buy and what that might be worth today? And do you look at that? Do you find what those sure, prices sure. are? Sure. One way to do it is you can take your, your D.C. home and say, okay, no growth. Five years from now, we're going to sell it, and the house we want to buy in Tennessee, it's worth 300000 today, and we're going to say, okay, it's going to grow by 2%, so we have to pay a higher price for it. You know, So you can, you can sort of massage the numbers around in the financial plan to make the plan stress out harder, sort of stress the plan out harder. So You've got it's software much more that does all this too, don't you? Yeah, yeah, in. yeah, absolutely. Pretty As a matter cool. of fact, if you want to go to my website, LarryRosenthal.com, you can – Go to the landing page there, and there's a video on there that explains, you know, how the financial plan works and, and, and functions and things like that. But, you know, that's, a, that's an overlooked question. And, you know, we talked also, Chris, we're going to be bringing it on our email bag. We talked a couple of weeks ago about reestablishing. Years ago on the show, we used, to, we used to have an email bag where people would email me questions and write out questions and – and you know, and and I'd come in and and answer them on the air. So today we're gonna we're gonna Can open we get up the Bob email to sing the email jingle. You know? Email jingle, Bob. Yeah. Come on in, Bob. He's going crazy. He's, here. Not, he's not gonna sing for us. No, not at all. So hey, let's uh, take a quick break, and we're gonna come back with some questions and the email bag. Give us a ring at eight five five Rose one two three. That's eight five five seven six seven three one two three. Listen to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal show. Back in a moment. listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. 
That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Housing prices and interest rates have started to move up. This may be your last chance to take advantage of low rates and housing bargains. If you're considering purchasing a home within the next year, you need to call Troy Turow at McLean Mortgage First to take advantage of his Loan First program. This can give you a winning bid over the competition, even when you come up against cash offers. The Loan First program will have you fully pre-approved so that you understand all aspects of your loan before you start looking for your dream home. Buying confidence when you have your Loan First certificate, which shows the seller your loan is already pre-approved and they can avoid any unnecessary negative surprises at settlement. Troy's been helping homeowners for over 20 years in the D.C. metro area, and he and his team are ready to help you. Call him today at 571-490-7117. That's 571-490-7117 for your loan first pre-approved certificate, 571-490-7117, or simply visit his website at anyhomeloans.com. Remember, you want control when you're making an offer on a home. Get your loan first certificate. Call Troy Turow at McLean Mortgage, 571-490-7117. Troy Turow and McLean Mortgage Corporations in MLS number 5618 and 99665. You are listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense on the Memorial Day weekend. Another thing you may not have known about Memorial Day, that it started with the Civil War. You think maybe we were thinking about the World War I, World War II. No, it actually started then and was made official by General Logan in uh, 1868. There you go. Number a couple of facts for you on Memorial Day, Larry. Chris, you're like Google. <laughs> I'm Google today. <laughs> I love it. Google. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Very, very good. Yep. So, hey, you know, so people go to my website and they shoot me off emails or they call the office sometimes and they ask questions. And so we're going to open up the email bag here with some questions that we we uh, have uh, for today's show. And uh, we've got three of them here. I, I, I really kind of like the um, uh, the last one. Obviously, somebody's very detailed, but we're going to we'll get to that one in, in a little bit. So the first one. Sort of basic. How can I be assured that I've saved enough for retirement? You know, you see these these questions uh, posed in television ads, print media, things like that. Do you know how much you need for retirement? And obviously, the answer is well, run a financial plan, right, and see where you are. But I, I thought I thought about this, and I said, you know, that's that's kind of a cop out answer. So I want to dive down into the, into the plan a little bit and just sort of talk about you know stressing out the plan. And what do I mean by that is you know make sure that when you're running the financial plan with your advisor or or yourself or whatever that you're you're making sure that if you have you know a pension in there or social security that the projected growth of that is lower than the projected growth of inflation please make sure that's the case oftentimes i find people that have run financial plans and they're projecting their social security at two percent and the inflation at two percent as well well that's not reality that doesn't really work right you know so so there are the 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 you know the the way that I would suggest doing it is run your inflation out. You know three and a half, maybe four percent, and run your your fixed income, your your social security, your pension, whatever it may be, out at one one and a half percent, so that you're always being you're always stressing out the growth versus the expenses inside the plan. Uh, that's important too. Another way is, you know, how do you know? Uh, again, the questions posed. 
how do I know if I've saved enough for retirement? Well, practice living on what you've re- on on your retirement income before you retire. Hmm. I have a lot of people that do that. It's pretty interesting too. So, so well, what do you mean? Well, stop and think about this. Let's suppose you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, and now you look at your your pension and your Social Security, and let's say between the two, you're going to be paid I don't know forty thousand a year, and now you say, okay, now I'm going to be able to pull out you know. 30,000 a year from my uh, uh, investments. So now I'm at 70,000 and all that's going to be taxed. So now maybe at 50,000. Well, for the first, for the next six months, try to live off of 50 grand a year and see how that works for you. And then well, you, might, don't you still have to put that money away for your retirement during that time frame while you're trying to practice. <laughs> you do have to still continue to save. But my point is that you, you'll just throw some of your paycheck money, Chris, into the bank and not gotcha. touch it, gotcha. right? Gotcha. So you can still go out and get the pizza on Friday night, but you can't have nine toppings. You can only have four, right? Yeah. That type of thing, okay? I don't do nine <laughs> so toppings. Bob's I don't looking at me I like, do oh, six. No. <laughs> right? So, so, but but that is my point, you know, is, is practice living on what you anticipate your retirement income to be before you actually pull the retirement trigger. That makes sense. Yes, and then another thing, too, is really take an inventory of your behavioral finance. Take an inventory of your behavioral finance. So what is this? Keeping well, receipts of everything you buy? Or is it- no, don't you don't have to worry about keeping receipts of everything you buy. Your behavioral finance, Chris, acts every single day for you. It's constantly working for you every time you're looking to buy something. Here's what I mean. Let's suppose you're going to go to, uh, I don't know, to the clothing store, and you're going to buy, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, some some jeans and t-shirts or whatever it is. And you walk in and you just say, okay, I need this, this, and this, and you're out, right? Now all of a sudden, let's just suppose that you know your great aunt gives you an extra ten thousand dollars or something as a birthday gift, okay? Um, now, I know everybody wants to have a great aunt like that right now, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, but let's just suppose she does. And then you decide, well, I still got to go to the store. I still got to get some T-shirts and jeans and socks and new sneakers. And you walk into the store and you go, well, you know, this pair of jeans look pretty good, but that's just not me. They are a little bit more expensive than what I would buy, but it's just not me. That's your behavioral finance. Even though you have this extra money in your pocket, you're behaving the way you would normally behave with, under normal finance situations. Is this so, the same uh, same thing that goes into the folks that win the lottery and then five years later they've, they've spent it all? That is a perfect example of not listening to your behavioral finance. Oh, okay. That is correct. All of a sudden the, the lottery winners decide that they need to go out to Ruth Chris or something like that many, many times. Not knocking it. It's a great restaurant, but you know what I mean? It's a little more pricey. They just yeah. have to start spending more and more money. And that is not the right thing to do. So you have to really take an inventory and understand what your behavioral finance patterns are. When you go into the store or when you look to buy something online or when you go to buy a new car, you're still going to maintain your same behavioral financial patterns as you move into retirement years. My point is this. If you're used to living off of $100,000 a year pre-retirement and the means for you to live off of to, to make your standard of living need to be $100,000 in retirement as well, your behavioral finance may, may kick in, and you might have a little bit of issue there if you don't have enough money coming in. 
I've seen this happen before where I've told people, you know, I've run out financial plans and I've said, you know, you're fine now until you retire. Because your incomes are so high right now, your standard of living is so high, you're going to have to cut down some things, and they don't like to hear that. Well, okay? this is the when you make more, you spend more mentality, right? That's where you need to That's where you have to understand your behavioral finance. Yeah. That's exactly right. You know, when you go to the store, you know, are, are you going to, you know, you, you just really take a good inventory of how you spend your money now versus what you're going to be spending it on in retirement years. Most people don't change their behavior of finances, the bottom line. They really don't. I mean, there's classes on this stuff when, in, in my industry when I go to, to, you know, different investment meetings around the country from time to time. They have, they have people talking about this, people, you know, instructing classes, seminar breakouts on this stuff. Well, sometimes you're forced to, finance. though, right? I mean, aren't you forced to adjust when you retire you, if you the money's are not there? forced sometimes to adjust, but my point is that you're, you're probably not going to change your, your, your patterns. When you go to, when you say, okay, let's go out to eat, you know, if you're used to going to such and such a restaurant and now you, you're going to want to go to such and such a restaurant is my point. That's your behavioral finance gotcha. pattern. Understand where you're spending your discretionary money on, okay? If, if you know, um, I'm not making myself clear here, but... But just take a look at your pattern of where you spend your money, okay, and how you view things when you go to the store. Next time you go to the store, Chris, or next time you're online, I know you're a big online shopper, next time you're online shopping, take a look at what you make your decision on. You've got three products there, product A, B, and C, and they're all pretty much the same with a couple little nuances, and you decide to buy product B. Why did you buy product B? For some reason, you saw a value of product B. Now take that into retirement and go, I'm still going to want to have that same value proposition. Will I have the money for it? So that's your behavioral finance pattern as it matches up towards your income and expenses down the road. And this is why you say to practice, because when you practice, you have to maybe adjust those behaviors a little bit. Correct. Yeah. That's right. Or you don't. You know, because think, think about this. If, if somebody has kept their, their spending in line throughout their career, you know, here's the deal. You get, out of, you get out of school. You get your apartment. Then you get a bigger apartment. Then you get a condo. Then you get the townhouse. And you just keep getting more and more stuff, stuff, stuff as your income keeps rising. Well, if your income gets to a certain point one day where you sit around and go, you know what, I'm okay. I don't, I don't really need, you know, 47 T-shirts in the drawer anymore, right? You know, I, I mean, you just don't keep buying and buying. Your income continues to rise throughout your career, hopefully, but your your behavioral finance pattern says, I'm satisfied with what I need. You know, I've got chicken in the refrigerator and mayonnaise and whatever it is. I don't need to have, you know, whatever. So, so you can take that extra and store it up. and Take that extra it. and store it up. The problem lies when people's standard of living continues to rise out of control with their income. Um, they're not, you know, and, and you've got to really look at your behavioral finance patterns, what you're used to buying as you're walking through life with that larger paycheck. So just understand it all. You know, hey, email bad question. How do I make sure that I've saved enough for retirement? Stress out your financial plan with inflation. Like I said, practice living on your retirement income while you're still working and then understand how your behavioral finance pattern is. Let's open up the lines here and give us a call at 855-ROSE-123 if you'd like to ask questions on your behavioral finance patterns and what I'm talking about here today. But it's really important when you stop and think about it. Give us a ring, 855-ROSE-123, 855 Seven six seven three one two three eight five five rose one two three. Back in a moment with more 
Larry Rosenthal Show. You are listening to Making Money Sense Live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Remember those kids that you keep your kids away from? Those kids that society doesn't seem to know what to do with? That kid you saw on the street corner last week? Remember that kid that, well, you feel sorry for? The dropout, the pregnant teen, the drug addict. Those are the kids that Youth for Tomorrow wants to reach. And Youth for Tomorrow has reached nearly 800 children since opening its doors in 1986. That's 800 young men and women helped to become responsible and effective members of society. The founder and chairman of Youth for Tomorrow, former Washington Redskins coach and current NASCAR team owner Joe Gibbs, says if we don't do what we can to influence our young people, there are plenty of others who will in the wrong direction. For more information about Youth for Tomorrow, call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. You can help turn a negative into a positive. Call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. You're listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense. If you'd like to dial in, we've got some lines available for you at 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. You know, the uh, we're, we're blessed here in the Washington, D.C. area uh, to have the, uh, the uh, Arlington National Cemetery. And one of the things that it's known for is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to go up there and watch that uh, tomb guard before Larry or not, but it's it's really a very special, sobering event to see that. It's actually an interesting thing. I, I was, it was my old unit, the 3rd United States Infantry, actually, when I was in the Army. That was my unit, and I had a chance to kind of see how those guys prepare for that whole process, and it's uh, it's an honor to be a part of that, and they really take it as such. It's a beautiful ceremony, and if you have an opportunity to get up to a, the uh, Arlington National Cemetery and watch that, it's a very special event. Absolutely. It's very impressive. Did you ever guard? No. <laughs> I was a little too short for that. Uh, you have to, there's a strict requirements of how you can, you know, how you measure and what kind of shape you're in. And I just wasn't tall enough for that. But my, I was the computer guy. I did a lot of the back, you know, opened some doors and did a lot of back things uh, in, in that unit. But I, and it helped him a lot, but I never was uh, privileged enough to be able to to do oh, that wow. but it was wow. it's a beautiful it's a beautiful ceremony it's wonderful absolutely it is absolutely it is and again you know thanks to to everyone on this memorial day weekend absolutely hey let's welcome jim on the line from woodbridge good morning jim how are you i'm great how are you i'm doing well how can i help you sir um i'm just listening uh, with interest through what you were saying about how to prepare yourself for retirement and make sure that you know your income uh, that you do some practice runs basically with your income while you're still employed and um, mine is more of a comment I guess um, uh, I retired now from the federal government um, but uh, just late in life I didn't think I would ever remarry but I did and uh, she has a special needs child which we uh, we brought him here from the Philippines and you know, I believe uh, this is uh, definitely God's calling, but it certainly changed my finances quite a bit. 
where I thought, you know, my my retirement um, was going to take me, and you know, TSP and so on. So uh, it, it you know it, it's not always as smooth as it seems. Um, so now it's uh, my wife and I are working together um, in the insurance industry, uh, which is different from what I've ever done. But um, you know, it's we're really trying to figure out how to stretch that income out, in, especially in uh, I'm almost 60, so there's not a whole lot of options anymore. But uh, I wanted to get your thoughts. Well, Jim, that's I, uh, I appreciate you know and praise the Lord for 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 what you're doing and things. One of the thoughts that I have right away is. Do you have a special needs trust set up for the child? Not yet. I've heard about that. Yes. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get you some information on the special needs trust and how that would work. Should okay. something happen to you and your wife, who's going to be you know in care for the child? Where are the resources right. going to come from? Things of that nature. So there's you know special needs trust, and and I'll have uh, I'll get you some information on that when we're done here. Um, but at the at yep at the same time, the the answer to your question is we we have to take a look at your expenses today, what's fixed, what's variable, and then really see what's coming in as to how much money you actually need to go out and make, whether that is as you mentioned in the insurance industry or working at Home Depot or or just doing you know an office job somewhere. Something like that. We've got to really stop and, and plan that that particular thing out. It, it sounds like to me we just need to run a basic cash flow analysis of stuff and to see how much money you really need to make and what you're willing to do uh, in order to accomplish it all. So, um, Jim, let me let me put you on hold here, and I'm going to uh, uh, guess, and Bob will get some information, and we'll send you out some information next week on the special needs trust. Okay. Great. Thank you. All right. Appreciate the phone call. You listen to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal Show. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. You know, another question here that came out of the email bag this week is, do you think interest rates will get high enough that we can invest in CDs again? (laughs) Well, eventually, but when you're putting money in a CD, you're not really investing. You're just sitting the money in there. You know, CDs will not keep will not keep pace with taxes and inflation over time. They're basically meant to be a liquid uh, or or I should say a safe semi-liquid cash reserve. That's what they're designed for is to be a a safe semi-liquid cash reserve. You know, when when you when you when I when I had this question here, I pulled up a chart real quick, and I'm I'm looking at it. You know, if you take the average uh, CD, let's say in 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 2008, the average CD nationwide was 3.76 percent. So, if you were in a 25 percent tax bracket, your after-tax return was 2.82, and inflation that year was very very low because it was a massive recession at .09, so the rate of return after inflation was 2.73. So you had a 3.76% CD after taxes and inflation, it reduced it to 2.73. That doesn't sound too bad. You're ahead of taxes and inflation, right? But the only way that you got ahead of taxes and inflation was to be in the middle of the worst recession we've had since (laughs) the Great Depression. So then the following year, 
when CD rates came out, they were at 1.61% minus taxes, and then inflation started coming back, minus inflation at 2.72, your real rate of return was negative (laughs) 1.51. Doesn't sound so good now, does it? No, it doesn't. Fast forward to 2015, the average CD interest rate was 0.27, minus taxes, minus inflation, your negative rate of return is 0.52. So my point is this, is as inflation continues to rise, interest rates in the banks will continue to rise. As inflation continues to drop, the economy's contracting, that's when your locked-in CD rate will actually perform. So you're losing money everywhere else except for the CD, right? Bottom line is that the CDs are meant to be a safe, semi-liquid cash reserve position, not necessarily an investment type of a scenario. Well, you say that you need to have um, a certain amount of money to outpace taxes and inflation. That number kind of changes from time to time, right? But you also well, you need to have three to six months, okay. basically. Yeah. Oh, three to six months worth of saving. Of, and, and then that money needs to be available to you. But in a bank account, that may not be the best place for that if you want to get some growth out of that, right? That's, That's correct. You know, stop and think about it. You know, if, if you're a, a government employee, you could probably afford to have two, maybe three months of living expenses saved in the bank. If you're a self-employed individual, you may want to have more, you know. Um, you know, if you, you have uh, concerns about your job, you, you may want to have more. So so the, the question becomes, well, if my living expenses, let's say, are five grand a month, Six months of that's thirty thousand dollars. Well, Larry, you want me to put thirty thousand dollars into a bank account today? It's not paying anything, right? It's paying point five or whatever it's paying. That's what your point is, Chris. So, mm-hmm. so one thing that you can look at doing maybe is having two months of living expenses there, and then putting the other four months of living expenses maybe in a very, very liquid conservative bond portfolio or something like that. That might get you a little bit more rate of return, maybe two or three percent. Um, but you remember, the further you move away from the bank, the less guarantees you have and the more volatility you have. So so you have to stop and really play that card out. You know, Now, let's suppose in that example of your expenses are 5000 a month and you've got 100000 in the bank. Now you have way too much money saved up in the bank, not earning an effective enough rate of return. So there's that issue as well. So, so it's you know it's sort of what we call the sleep test. You know, how much money do you really feel comfortable with keeping in the bank versus investing? If you keep too much in the bank, then you're going to mortgage or you're going to hamper your long-term growth of keeping pace with taxes and inflation down the road. So it's a balancing mix, and you just sort of spread that spectrum across in, in a conversation. Well, and if you put that into a fund or something like that, then you could pay a fairly decent uh, fee if you took it out early if you needed that money. Well, it depends on the type of fund you go into, yes. But, but, you know, mostly these days, you know, people are putting money into investments that are, at least that's what we try to do with clients, is put it in where it's completely liquid. You can put it in today and pull it out tomorrow, so there's no questions on it. There's, there's no back-end fee as to what you're really talking about there, okay? Gotcha. Um, yep. You know, I know we're coming down to the last few minutes of the show here, but I want to get to this third email bag question. And it is, can you please explain upside and downside capture? When I saw this, I was like, yeah, cool. This is very good. So the, when, when you're looking at analyzing an investment portfolio, okay, you know, so, so take a look. Think about your TSP. Think about your 401K, your 403B plan, or any of your investments out there. 
What's upside and downside capture? Well, if the market goes up, let's say, 10%, how much of that upside are you capturing? On the other hand, if the market goes down 10%, how much of that downside are you capturing, right? So, so you want to take a look at it's a way to measure where your anticipated earn, or growth or decline may go when the markets are up or down. So suppose your upside capture is 105. That means if the market's up, you're going to capture 105% of the upside of it. On the other hand, if your downside capture is 110, that means that when the market's down, you're going to capture 110% of the downside. That's not good because you're capturing more downside than you are upside. On the other hand, if you said, you know what, What's, what if my upside captures 95 I'm going to capture 95% of the upside versus my downside capture being 88. So when the market drops and you're only capturing 88% of the downside, now you're going, hey, this is okay. I'm not quite getting all the upside, but I'm definitely getting a lot less of the downside. So you want to construct your portfolios to look at what is the difference on your upside and downside capture ratios inside your portfolios. Make sense? It, it does. It's a little bit confusing to talk about, but but I understand what you're saying. In, in the end, you want to, whatever that percentage is, you want to keep going up with the line, essentially. Exactly. So, so you know, if the market does 10% and you've got an upside capture of, of 95, you're going to probably get 9.5%. Right, right. On the other hand, if the market goes down 10% and you've got a downside capture of 88 Maybe you're only going to lose 8.8%. So the idea there is to get a very low downside and a very high upside capture. And it's a very interesting scenario when you look at putting your investments into these into your portfolio. You know, when you take a look at putting all your investments that's inside your portfolio into the different softwares out there that do these types of, of uh, uh, calculations, it really exposes weak spots in your portfolio. And you win anytime you outpace taxes and inflation. You're you're on the top side of things. That's the whole deal, Chris. If you can get a net two percent realized rate of return after taxes and inflation, you will keep pace with purchasing power, and you'll be okay. It should be. That's yep. the ma- what is that magic number now? Where are we on that? It's around eight, eight, eight well, roughly eight eight point four, eight point five percent. Oh, okay. Actually, no, no. I'm sorry. It's a little. It's a little bit lower because uh, inflation's not quite as high. So it's in the upper sevens. Mm-hmm. Depends on your tax bracket too. So, gotcha. But uh, anyway, interesting information. Hey, if you want to shoot me off some some questions, go to my website, LarryRosenthal.com. Shoot us off some questions, and we'll come in next week and we'll read them live on the air. You know, email bag questions. I get a lot of people calling the office. Give us a call after the show at eight five five Rose one two three. That phone number switches over, becomes our toll free number nationwide. And uh, be happy to answer any questions you may have. We send out all types of financial literature throughout the week to people, to uh, to clients, to friends, to, to people that are just listening to the show. So if you want to uh, get some information, feel free to do so. Hey, and then just another just another moment here. Just uh, stop and, and uh, thank a, a serviceman or woman today for his or her past service or current service on this Memorial Day weekend. God bless everyone out there. God bless America. Stay focused on the Lord. It's all his anyway. So for Bob in the back and Chris McKay, I'm Larry Rosenthal. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful long weekend, uh, Memorial Day weekend. We'll be back next Saturday with another session of Making Money Sense, the Larry Rosenthal Show. Thank you.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.